Hello, we're Project Six, and we're a charity working with people in South and West Yorkshire. We deliver a range of services to support people with alcohol and other drug use, to help individuals, families and communities to make meaningful and sustainable change in their well-being. And you're listening to our podcast. This is the second episode of the podcast from the Project Six Ideas Conference. And it's an abridged version of a panel discussion that took place, harm reduction, recovery and human rights, with the participants considering how we overcome the polarity between recovery and harm reduction to create solidarity in adapting a human rights-led approach to alcohol and other drug treatment. On the panel are Vicky Beer, Chief Exec of Project 6, Dr David Patton, Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the University of Derby, Sohan Sahota, Co-Founder and Managing Director of Back In, Peter Crikant, Harm Reduction Activist and Events, Fundraising and Campaigns Lead at Cranston. And the panel is facilitated by April Wareham, Director of Working With Everyone. The recording quality isn't great for this one, but we thought the ideas discussed were definitely worth sharing. It's April who starts the conversation. I'm going to start with the question that I'm really keen to hear the answer to, is how did we get to this point where we become so polarised between harm reduction and abstinence-based recovery that we almost can't sit down together and talk about it? As with everything, it's complex. There's lots of different layers to this stuff. So there was a shift in terms of UK drugs policy. So those of you who remember the NTA days, and I started in probably about 2001 or something, and we went through the key, the get them in days, get people into treatment. In fact, I seem to remember in Leeds, that, that, at that point there was three arrest referral workers, and that the only way to get any script was to go and nick a telly from the underloads and end up in the end up in the cells. And honestly, there were queues of people outside Rumbleways trying to nicking a telly in those days was not easy because they were quite hard. Um, so we went for get them in, you know, get Frank into treatment, and then we had keep them in. And then for me, when the challenges started, was get them out and keep them out. And that's when we start. There's an immediate rise in drug-related deaths after that. And then at the same time that was, was occurring, um, we had austerity and actually everything got squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and we lost our women's services, we lost our services that work in minoritised communities, we lost harm reduction, we lost recovery in a lot of places and we ended up losing less and less and less and just having the, the core of services. I understand why that was because it was about scripting and keeping people safe, but we lost our creativity. And I think we lost in that, we lost a bit of passion and we lost some good people and we lost our activist streak actually. And I think we became very vanilla and actually one of the things, the challenges for the sector, we're part of the problem actually and we need to be trying to change the system. It's not good enough just to turn up and work in a system that harms people, that's my view. We need to be trying to change the system and reducing the harm and it feels like we've forgotten how to do that. We've, and as a society, we've forgotten how to debate, haven't we? Everything's this or that. And actually, if you sit and look at it, you can have both. And I'm a strong believer, I, I, you know, I'm an absolute passionate believer in that harm reduction saves lives. It's absolutely critical. 
that we value and we care for people that are using drugs as well as people that have used drugs. And for me, one of the ways through this is to really value and care for people, regardless what substance they're using, regardless how long it is since they've used a substance, that we value that person as a, as a whole person. Thank you, Vicky. I'm going to ask David now. <coughs> Um, like Vicky said, it's a complex situation. I think if we kind of just look at the madness of what's occurring of people operating in silos and kind of just doing things our own preferred way that align with our, either our own personal or professional kind of views, then it clearly doesn't work because what that means is that people are falling through the cracks. And for me, kind of, we're not here uh, where we are today in the insanity of the system, not working together because of a few strong personalities or a few different kind of disparate ideas and values. We've got to go back historically and culturally. So when this system was created, it created a scientific approach to knowledge and knowledge production. And what that said was that people like me with a PhD, my form of knowledge that my certificate gives me is more valid than you and yours that didn't get that piece of paper. So it esteems certain voices and it esteems certain methodologies of gaining knowledge. And it says that the scientific voice, if I'm a doctor, then I've got power over you because I'm the expert and I can give you a prescription as to a course of action that needs to be taken. So we've got this whole treatment system that's been created. It's fallible. It's just one way. It's not wrong, but it's just one way. It's the white way. And so we need to embrace whole disparate range of ways of knowing and being. How have we become so polarised between harm reduction and abstinence? So many. What I want to bring in is the fragmentation. I think it's to do with like attitudes and personal attitudes and belief systems that people, people bring in into the field. Where when I kind of come into the system, there was very little about, I never even heard the word recovery. Why didn't I hear there is another way? You know, you can stabilize, you can detox, you can safely use, inject, you can do all of those things, but I never heard the word recovery. And in Nottingham, you know, we, we started our organization back in Black and Asian cultural identification of narcotics as an alternative, you know, for many reasons, where we can, you know, people from the community can come and talk and you know, what do they want from their addiction? So when I speak about abstinence-based recovery, it's born not out of my own experience, but from my collective, a collective wisdom of thousands of people we supported over the years from the ethnic minority populations. And I think when I talk about attitudes and belief systems, different cultures have different notions about addiction, about treatment, how to get better and how to stay better. And, and, and part of our model kind of contain aspects of faith and spirituality. So we're talking about in the early 2000, about abstinence-based recovery, total abstinence, faith-based spirituality, and the condemnation we, we got, the demonization we got from that, because we think different, because our needs are different. We want different things to address our addiction. We want different things to help us, for us to recover. We've got to give people choice, give them options. Let's increase the information and the intelligence in their choice making. And now I have the same question again to Peter. You know, and I think 
basically we've got to where we've got to because of the, the treatment industry. The treatment industry, you know, in the 1970s, when the Missions and Drugs Act came into force, you know, when President Nixon 52 years ago yeah. this month stood up and said we need an all-out offensive war on drugs, when actually he was saying we need an all-out offensive war on hippies, black and brown and Hispanic communities. When all that happened, we set up a treatment industry that was driven by money. You know, and you go to these big houses, and this is still one of the main treatment systems that we have in the United Kingdom now. You know, you get sent away to this big house in a field in a park in the middle of nowhere for three months, and your prescription is God. Turn up, you know, prayer and meditation, work the 12 steps, you know, go home, go back to your uh, house in Coastal Park and go to 12-step meetings. You know, and unfortunately, that is the majority of the treatment system. Still, people are around us in our communities in Scotland are dying consistently all the time, and they're not dying um, from addiction. You know, read John Booth, The Myth of Addiction. They're not dying from addiction. They're dying from economic poverty. Stop asking us what treatment we need and ask us how many sugars we need in our tea. How can we move the treatment system to something that is more human rights focused? It's not about help. It's not about criminal justice. It's about the people that are coming in. For me, absolutely a progressive framework towards decriminalisation and legalisation. We should not be locking people up ever for what they choose to put in their bodies. And I think we'll look back at 50 years or 100 years and we'll be absolutely horrified we let this happen for, for so long. Um, I, I, I think there's a couple of things we can do about it quite easily, actually. Quite easily. Big jobs, but we can actually change. So thinking about what can we actually control? So I think coming back to choice, but coming back to so as point of genuine choice because actually people often don't know that they've got a choice actually if we want to support folk that want to stop using heroin we have to be more accessible and quicker than their dealers actually rather than creating systems that put 27 steps and four screenings and three different assessments in because you know why that's just never going to work so there's something we can do about our approach and our focus on building therapeutic alliances and relationships with folk and then there's something i think we can do about language to challenge stigma as well. And I never use the word addict. My rule of thumb is I shut my eyes. Can I see it on the front page of the Daily Mail? If I can, then I won't use that word. Um, Options and choices are key, I agree. How do you support people, the most vulnerable, to make choices? Real choices, not do you want a pink one or a green one. Proper choices. How do we do it? Well, I, I just think that there's not been choice. You know, that's that's the reality. There hasn't there been choice. People who use drugs have been seen as second-class citizens for a long time, and, that, and the only choice that a lot of people have, uh, driven by a commissioned treatment structure, is to be abstinent. You know, it, 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 choices were, were... People were forced into those choices. You know, actually, there was a period of time where... Uh, you know, in a lot of areas, uh, it was called payment by results. You know, and it was it was basically get get somebody who's dependent on uh, street heroin into treatment. You know, get them onto 
uh, methadone, um, you know, optimal level, recycle them off of that methadone as quickly as possible, get them out of your treatment service, and if they don't represent within a six months period, you then get paid for it. You know, people didn't represent because they died. Until we have choice, until we are allowed to say to people, actually, if you want to take heroin, we've got clean heroin here, which is tested and distributed like uh, alcohol, like uh, nicotine. And, you know, you, we're so far behind these abuse services recently in Barcelona to visit. And, you know, when people turn up there, like what we were saying earlier, they're not asked about what types of drugs they're using. You know, they're asked if they want a biscuit and if they want tea and, you know, if they want to then at some point maybe talk about some of the social stuff, social aspects. There is choice, but it's very, very limited. But there's another choice that no one hardly ever talks about. Where, where do you refer individuals from a minority ethnic background that are needing support that is appropriate for their needs? Where, where, where do you refer them to? You don't, because there, there ain't many services available across the country. And that's another narrative we need to be speaking about collectively rather than just black and brown faces, rather than people just like me for the last 20 odd years. I'd be interested to hear how some of the polarised views on the panel um, and some of the panel think um, as a sector uh, we can come together to influence the people that make decisions about money, about commissioning, because sometimes I think the recovery harm reduction conversation can be a bit of an echo chamber. Mm. So it's about how do we influence as a sector and show solidarity even when we don't agree because we have a responsibility to do that. I Just one comment on this. The polarisation is God's gift to the system. Yes. Okay? They love it because they can come and say, we asked the community and they didn't agree. So... How do we move on from that? Where do we go from here, guys? I was just going to say exactly the same thing, April. It's, oh, well, we asked you, but we couldn't get an answer out of you. That's because there isn't one answer. Mm. Actually, mm. for me, we work and live in complex, messy, adaptive systems, don't we? So actually, there are, and for me, it comes back to that notion of choice, actually, and that genuine notion of choice and that genuine we coalesce around what we agree with, actually, because we've got some dispersed opinions on this panel, but actually we agree with about 80, 90% of it, actually. And for me, it's about compassion. It's about caring and it's going, I don't understand particularly that perspective, tell me more. And that's it. We'll be sharing all the recordings and content from the conference over the coming weeks. So keep an eye on our social media and website for updates of when that's available. Thanks for listening.